Good morning. Today is Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. I don't know how many times I've been asked this question. It's kind of a Jewish urban myth. Why is it that a person that has a tattoo is not allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery? So the answer is very simple. The question is incorrect. It is not true. <laughs> it is not true. It's a Baba Misa. I don't know where it started. There is no basis for such an opinion anywhere. It is not practiced anywhere. A person with a tattoo is just as qualified to be buried in a Jewish cemetery as anybody else. I imagine what happened is there was some frantic parent who did not want their child to get a tattoo and they had to think of what would be the most shocking thing they could say to try to get them to change their mind. They said, oh, you won't be able to be buried with a, a nice do dose of uh, uh, par parental Jewish guilt. I don't know if it worked, probably not, um, but it's not true and there is no connection between a tattoo and burial. Tattoos are very common. And I want to be very, very clear before I start what I want to say today. I am not being judgmental. Um, I'm not criticizing and people do all sorts of things. I'm only coming to try to explain and understand a certain subject in Jewish law that has many, many ramifications, but it does start with a verse in this week's Torah portion. The Torah says, Ksovas kaka, writing in a permanent way on your skin, making a permanent discoloration. That is a tattoo. That's the word that we use. We should not do that because I am the Lord your God. We're not allowed to make a permanent mark on our skin. You can make a temporary mark, but we're not allowed to make a permanent alteration to our body, of course, unless it's medically necessary. Part of the uh, pathos of what the Nazis did to Jews in Germany of forcibly putting a tattoo with a number on their arm, not only as a way of dehumanizing all of those beautiful Jewish men and women and children, but also doing something that is ingrained in Jewish culture that you never do. But that was against our will. But the question I want to address is why? Why? What's wrong? After all, it's my body. Shouldn't I be allowed to do with my body as I wish? The answer is a fundamental truth. It is, area, it is relevant in many areas that are very practical. Let's start with the Rambam, Maimonides, in the laws of damages, of causing a wound on a person. The Rambam says, Asur la'adam lachbol bein ba'atzmo bein b'chabero. A person is not allowed to cause a wound. I'm not allowed to assault someone. I'm not allowed to hit someone, to injure someone. I'm not allowed to do it to you. That's an assault. I'm equally not allowed to do it to me. For me to hit myself 
is exactly the same crime as for me to hit you, God forbid. Why is that? Well, because your body does not belong to me. If I injure something that does not belong to me, I have committed a crime. My body does not belong to me. It belongs to God. We say in our prayers in thy holidays, Haneshama lach v'haguf pa'alach. Our neshama, our soul, comes from you, God, and our body is your creation. You made it. It belongs to you. Now, what you did, God, is you gave permission to me to be able to make use of the body that you have lent to me, that you have leased to me for a certain amount of time. <clears throat> Years ago, there was a famous play on Broadway, and the title of the play was Whose Life Is It Anyway? From the Torah point of view, the answer is clear. It's God's life. It's God's body that he is letting us use. And therefore, the way that we relate to our body is the same way that we relate, for example, to a rental property versus a home that we purchase. If you buy a home, you can do whatever you want. You can knock down the walls, you can paint it red, you can do whatever you want. But if you're renting, yes, you can make necessary repairs, but you're required to take care of it. And at the same time, there are certain major renovations you're not permitted to do because it doesn't belong to you. You're limited in what you can do because it's not yours. You can use it. You can improve it. You can change it in minor ways, but you cannot make permanent changes in it. The Radvaz, one of the classic commentators to the Rambam Maimonides, adds a tremendous insight from the world of Jewish criminal law that applied during the time that the Beis HaMikdash was in position and there was a Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin, the great court in Jerusalem, and uh, Jewish criminal law was being applied in Israel. The law was a person could be convicted of, let's say, God forbid, murder on the basis of eyewitness testimony. That's what the Torah says. What happens if a person confesses? What happens if a person comes to the Sanhedrin that says, and they say, I did it. I confess. Ruvain confesses. He says, Ruvain, I killed Shimon. I did it. I'm confessing. So we say to him, thank you very much for telling us. Please be more careful in the future and go home. Because in Jewish criminal law, a person cannot be convicted on the basis of confession. Why should that be? Says the Radvaz. Because I, as the rentor of my body, I don't have the right to say something that will cause harm to my body. If I were to confess this crime 
and I were to be found guilty, let's let's go back to Reuven and Shimon. Reuven confesses this crime that he murdered someone. What's going to happen? He's going to receive capital punishment. He is not allowed to say words that cause that harm to come to his body. It's his body and it does not belong to him. He doesn't have the right to confess in a way that will cause harm to a body that does not belong to him. It belongs to God. Because of this, much more practical, we are not allowed to engage in activities that are needlessly dangerous because our body doesn't belong to us. So we can't take unnecessary risks with it. Obviously, there are situations in life that require risky, dangerous behavior to be a police officer, to be a firefighter, to serve in an army. Okay, but that's not needless. That's for a certain constructive purpose to protect people, to defend for a positive purpose. But for a person to do something for money that's dangerous, person does something for vanity, but it's dangerous, that's not permitted because it's not my body. I can't take a chance with it if it's not mine. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, the greatest halachic authority of the previous generation, to the best of my knowledge, never discussed hockey. But he did discuss football. Remember, he's a rabbi in New York, so he discussed football. And he was asked the following question. Is it permissible for a person, a Jewish person, to play football? Because, you know, playing football, professional football, you can get hurt. You can get hurt a lot. So in that responsum, Rabbi Feinstein says, the danger is not sufficiently clear to prohibit a person from playing football. But the assumption of the question is important. The assumption of the question is, if it would be at a certain level of danger, then it would be prohibited because God is telling us I don't want you to do something that is dangerous with my body because God says it belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. And therefore, you do not innately have the right to decide. You are required to decide based on what Jewish law says. And this applies in many areas of life. It applies in many areas of medical ethics. Person who says, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. That is not true in Jewish law. Now, it may certainly be true, this is a subject of a dispute, but it may certainly be true that if we live in a pluralistic society like Canada, it may be true that the best way for us is to have laws that do not impose one set of beliefs on another. And I should be allowed to do with my body as I wish because I don't want somebody else with a different set of beliefs telling me what my belief should be. That is perfectly legitimate in terms of what the society should decide. But as a Jewish person, when I am deciding the issue as a Jewish person, the fact that it is my body is not part of the calculus. I'll give you another example of this. A surgeon's scalpel 
is an instrument of healing. A surgeon approaches a patient with a scalpel and causes an incision, a wound. It's an act of healing. It's a mitzvah. What if it's not for healing? A surgeon takes a very sharp knife and cuts a person open. That's a crime. That's an act of assault. What's the difference? If it's therapeutic, it's a mitzvah. If it's not therapeutic, it's like being attacked in, a, in an alley. Can a Jewish person, according to Jewish law, undergo cosmetic surgery? If it's for a medical reason, a person is sick. So what the surgeon is doing to them is permitted. It's healing. A, a doctor is allowed to heal, is supposed to heal. But a person who's not sick, what is done to them is not healing. And if it's not healing, it's like getting mugged in a back alley with a sharp, with a sharp weapon. And even if the patient gives their consent, but from the point of view of Jewish law, consent doesn't matter because I'm not allowed to harm myself just like I'm not allowed to harm someone else. Consent plays no role. I'm not allowed to give someone consent. Hit me, it's okay. I won't hold you responsible. I'm not allowed to do that according to Jewish law. I don't have that right because it's not my body. Okay, on the subject of Jewish medical ethics, on the subject of cosmetic surgery, it's a complicated approach. Some take the approach that really it's not the right thing unless a person has a condition that is a medical issue. And by the way, a mental health issue could also be a medical issue. Rav Moshe Feinstein is actually more lenient in this area. And he says that if something bothers a person very much in the way they look, and there is a reasonably safe operation to be able to fix it, a person has the right to do it if they would otherwise be upset about it. But again, the assumption of the question is important. It's not necessarily okay just because it's my body and I consent to it. That's the reason, that's the basis of the Torah prohibiting tattoos. It's not your body. You're renting it. You didn't buy it. You don't own it. You can make temporary changes. You can't make permanent changes. And a tattoo is a permanent change. On a daily basis, a person should think to themselves, am I taking the proper care of this gift? that has been placed into my temporary possession. That is an ongoing application. A tattoo is one example of it, but it is an ongoing approach to life that we should always be thinking about. There's a prayer we say in the morning because there's one more application of this that I want to share with you. A heavier application. A beautiful prayer we say every morning, and I urge you, if you're not saying this prayer every morning, 
I find so much meaning in it, I strongly suggest it to you. It's in the beginning of the Siddur, just before the Birchas HaShachar, the morning blessings. Elokai, my God, Neshama Shenasatibi Tahorahi, the soul that you have placed within me is pure. That in itself is a very important point. We are given a pure soul, a clean, a righteous soul. We can make mistakes and mess it up, but it starts out pure and it can always be returned to pure. Okay. Atabarasa, atayatsarta, atanafaktibi, you made our soul and then you breathe the soul into my body. And you protect that soul within my body. And at some point, you're going to take it away from me. Because my body is a temporary possession. So at some point, you're going to retrieve the soul and take it away from my body, which is what causes a person to pass away. But there is a promise, in the time to come when Mashiach comes, there will be a reunification between the body and the soul. But until that happens, we have to remember that our bodies are on loan. They are a gift. And every day that we can wake up and our body and our soul is still connected, as long as my body and my soul are connected, they're within me. I give thanks to you, Hashem, for the gift again today of having my body, which does not really belong to me, continue to contain my soul. And that means when it's time to give it back, of course, we will be sad. We always want it longer. And sometimes, tragically, it seems much too soon, but let's be honest, it's always too soon. But when it's time to give it back, we must say thank you for the gift of having had our body all through our lives. For the gift of the use of our body that enabled us to clothe our soul and to do mitzvahs because without a body, a neshama, a soul is just this pure spiritual be being without freedom of choice, without temptation, without the ability to do mitzvahs, without the ability to ascend during life. It is our body that allows us to do that. And so when that body and soul part, we have to say thank you for having had it. This morning, my family says thank you to my mother's husband, Rabbi Lippa Rabinowitz, who passed away early this morning. His funeral is actually ongoing in Yerushalayim. My mother will be sitting Shiva in Yerushalayim in her home. Her husband, Rabbi Lippa Rabinowitz, studied and taught Torah his entire life. The essence of his being was one who taught Torah, who related to students for his entire life. And my mother made it possible for him to do so. 
made it possible that he was free and able, had everything he needed to be able to live a life of studying Torah and teaching Torah throughout his life. May his neshama be a blessing and may my mother be consoled among the other mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. And may she recognize the blessing she had of her husband's body in his soul for all those years to be able to do mitzvot, to study Torah, to teach Torah. And then, as the time came today, to say thank you, Hashem, for the blessing of having had that in our lives. My friends, I want to wish you a good day. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.